God, we come together once again at this season, at this time of the year. And God, even as we sing that song, oh, come, let us adore him. God, I can't help but think in my mind, Lord Jesus, Father, how a baby is born. And God, we come and it's the cutest baby I've ever seen. God, every baby just seems to be the cutest baby we've ever seen. And Jesus, I'm sure you even laying in that manger to your mother and your father and the shepherds and the wise men, it was the cutest baby they've ever seen. And yet Isaiah tells us that when it came to the end of your life, you weren't someone that they wanted to look upon. God, you were crucified. You were whipped because of our sin, because of our brokenness, because of our pain. God, you took it on on yourself so that we could come to you and say, Jesus, I lay it at your feet. God, this morning it might have been the best week of your life. It might have been the worst week of your life. But we come together as the body of Christ to be challenged that, God, once again, we bring it to you to the foot of the cross. And that baby born in the manger, Emmanuel, God with us. So, God, we give you the honor. We give you the glory. And we just thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do in this service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Defender, often we focus on the big win, right? Uh, Some people, how many people are watching the Grey Cup this afternoon? Finally in the snow, I watched a bit of the finals there the other week. We don't have cable, so I don't necessarily get to see it in uh, real time. I watch it kind of after the fact. But we focus on the big touchdown, right? I watched the highlights. And the highlights were these big, long passes. These highlights were these people, that the, the running back, that got through that defensive line and went for like 30 yards, where usually they get two or three yards. And we focus on all those highlights, our big dreams. Uh, but what happens when those big dreams don't come to pass? What happens when we don't score the big touchdown? What happens when life kind of comes at us and we feel like, I don't have the strength to get through this. I don't have the, the sustenance or the energy to make it to the other side of that. And that's what we're going to kind of look at a little bit this morning. Uh, I've got two kids now that are in driver training, and uh, I actually was not the... I was a good driver, but I, was, I liked, liked driving fast, right? So... I think it was like about five years ago, I finally caught up to Marina. Uh, All of our vehicles are registered in her name because she has a better driver record. And I haven't been in a lot of accidents, but I had a lot of speeding tickets over the years. And I actually got to a point, we never had uh, driver's ed much when I was in school, but uh, my kids are going through driver's ed. And I got to a point where they said, uh, your license is going up. That kind of motivated me because I didn't want to spend more on my license. And you're going to have to take this course of uh, defensive driving. Uh, and I was living in Edmonton at the time, and I was going to have to drive back once a week for four weeks to go to this defense. I said, I'll be good. I'll be good. I promise I'll be good. And uh, I was good. I'm, I'm now at full, full merits and everything, that kind of stuff. So yay, Pastor Glenn. Motivational speech for those teenagers who are getting speeding tickets. You too can change your life and turn it over to Christ, and you no longer will have. No, just kidding. Um, but in defensive driving, they, they, they give you a lot of stuff, and they talk about the idea of driving in such a way as to save lives, time, and money. In spite of the conditions around you and the actions of others, the aim is to reduce the risk of driving and anticipating dangerous situations despite adverse conditions or mistakes of others. And I think if we lived our lives that way a lot of times, and I would say I've definitely become a better driver when I'm at a red light now, you have a major intersection. I pretty much always, if it turns green, don't just go. I pretty much always look left, look right, and go, right? Because I have been there, and just about two weeks ago, I was driving with David, who is one of our sons, who is uh, learning. And he's like, Dad, you just drove right through that red light. And I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> My mind was just elsewhere, right? And we all make mistakes. 
So being defensive or having someone that's in our corner, having someone that's defending us. And the first thing that we're going to look at this morning is, is what is a defender? And a defender, the dictionary says it like this. It says, it's a person who defends someone or something from attack, assault, or injury, a guardian or protector. In sports, you have the goalkeeper, right? You have a defender. In battles, you have the defense and the offense. In law, you have a defense attorney. Someone might have a bodyguard. Anyone here have a bodyguard? I don't think anyone here has a bodyguard. But in the Old Testament, they called them watchmen, right? They had someone who was defending the city, who was watching out for something that could go wrong or someone that was coming to attack. And they kept their, and if you have a PC computer, you have an antivirus on your computer that's called Defender that keeps things out that shouldn't be coming in. So we all need to at sometimes just stop and take a look and say, you know what, um, I need a defense I don't need to just constantly be going after this. And Bryce talked last week just about taking five minutes, which is, is not, shouldn't be hard to do, right? Five minutes in every day where you just quiet yourself and listen to God and say, God, speak into my business, speak into my life, speak into my church. God, speak into me. I'm here to listen. I'm taking five minutes to spend time with you. A defense lawyer focuses on these things when he's working on your behalf investigating the case and interviewing all the witnesses, researching pertinent case law, criminal code, status, building a defense and coming up with an effective case strategy, negotiating with prosecutors and arranging a plea bargain. He fights for the client's freedom. And we're going to look this morning at what it's like when God becomes your defender. When you say, God, I'm going through these situations. God, I didn't, I failed. You know, they they made the interception. In the highlight, there was lots of interceptions too. And I didn't quite get to where I needed to go. And God, I I can't just pull myself up by my socks. I can't just pull myself up and get up and do this and go after it. They fight for our freedom. So the second thing is, do I really need a defender? Uh, I've heard the statement, and I kind of looked up sort of why the statement, because I didn't really uh, totally have an answer for it. But I've heard it lots of times that the best offense is a defense. And uh, I kind of prepared this a couple weeks ago and didn't even think of, didn't even know the Great Cup was happening today, but a lot of my illustrations tie into football and being a defender. And uh, the best offense is defense for two reasons. If the other team never scores, you got a pretty good chance of winning that game or at least tying, right? You're going to either tie or you're going to either not lose. Uh, and the other thing is, if you've got a good defense, it puts you in a good field position to score. And I think that all relates to life as well. If we just walk through life and let everything come in and say, you know what, whatever, who cares, this, you know, that that kind of thing. And we never have a defense. We never have something where it says in the Bible, you know, it says to capture your thoughts and bring them into alignment. To think on these things. Think on the things that are holy. Think on the things that are lovely. Think on the things that are right. To think on all those things. If we never have that defense in our our life, in our, in our thought life, uh, we're probably going to get hit with a lot of stuff. And also, if we have a good defense, it puts us in a good place to be in a good offense, to be able to go forward. If we're, if we're guarding our thought lives and we're thinking on the things that are lovely and thinking are pure, you probably have a better chance at succeeding in relationships, probably have a better chance at succeeding in your job, probably have a better chance in succeeding in whatever it is you might be involved in or you might be doing. And the Bible tells us that we do need a defense. In Romans 3.23, it says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody who's ever made a mistake, don't put your hand up. Perfect. That's all of us. It also says in Romans 12.29, it says, Do not take revenge, my dear friend, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, 
I will repay, says the Lord. We have a choice to make to say, God, I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to stand in front of these people and I'm going to put in a defense for myself. And that might work good in some scenarios, but when you're standing before the God of all creation and you say, you know what, God, I'm going to show you what kind of a good person I am. Uh, God, I'm good enough. I'm okay by myself. It's probably not going to go too well. Or are you going to say, God, I'm going to let you defend me? Uh, in a lot of movies, especially in American stuff, you see, the, you see the police officer come out, right? And he says, you have the right to remain silent. You have the right to uh, uh, someone to, uh, to not speak or whatever. You have the right for somebody to represent you. And if you don't have somebody to represent you, we will provide someone for you, right? Because in the law, they realize that it's very important that you have a defense, that you have somebody who's on your side. And this morning, as we keep going, I want to just challenge you that God is on your side. God desires to be on your side. God desires to be your defense. In 1 Peter, in the, in the Good News translation, it says, when Jesus was insulted, so you'd think Jesus might be somebody who would be like, hey, quit bugging me, right? And yet Jesus, it says in the Bible, trusted in God. I mean, we don't want to just let everybody walk all over top of you, but there's a place where you need to come to where you say, God, you are my defense. When Jesus was insulted, he did not answer back with an insult. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but placed his hopes in God, the righteous judge. And I remember I was listening to, uh, I think it was T.D. Jakes one time, and he said kind of the same thing. He said, you know what, I used to scroll through all those comments of everybody against me, but I just couldn't do it. I just had to stop and say, God, I need to do what you've called me to do. And my focus needs to be on God. You be my defender. I'm not going to respond to all of that stuff. I'm just going to keep doing what you have called me to do and keep going forward. One more verse in John 8. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But uh, it's one of my favorite stories in, in one way. Oh, and there we go. Pastor Mike's gone. You'll be able to come back and everything will run perfectly. And you'll be able to say, man, we're so glad you're back. I, I, not as much lately, but I, I have... Uh, in the past, gone quite a bit to smaller churches and preached on a Sunday for them and that kind of stuff. And I always say, I always wrestle a lot with what to do because I could preach really good because I'm there or I could preach really bad so they're really happy when their pastor comes back, right? And set him up for success when he comes back. So I'm not trying to do either of those today. But um, the woman caught in adultery, uh, she comes and she's, she's guilty and she's standing before Jesus and all these people that want to stone her and she doesn't have any, any defense to give. Whoa, there we go. And uh, the live stream will be awesome. Welcome to everybody online. There you go. You can come to the service and experience this wonderful uh, time together with us. Um, but he, he starts writing on the ground and they start walking away. And the part that I love is the end, that Jesus gives her a choice. It's just him standing there, the perfect son of man. The, the one who is going to be our judge, will be our judge. The one who will lay the hammer down in the end and say, you know what? You're guilty or you're innocent or you this or that, right? And he doesn't set her off scot-free. He looks at her and he says, woman, who condemns you? And I think in his heart, he was like, please say nobody. But I think also in a part of his heart, he, she could have said, you condemn me. The law condemns me. I am guilty. I deserve what I am getting. But she didn't. She said, she looked at Jesus and she said, no one. She said, God, I choose you to be my defense. Now that's not a get out of jail free card, do not pass, whatever, that kind of thing, right? 
But it is grace. It is forgiveness. It is not, I'm going to live my life however I want. Paul talks about that in the New Testament, right? He says this grace is not so you can go and live however you want and get it and just say, God, forgive me. I'm going to do it again. God, forgive me. I'm going to do it again. God, forgive me. I'm going to do it again. But when you do get in that place where you've made a mistake, where you've failed, where you realize your life isn't where it should be, and you come to God and you say, God, I need a defender. God says, I'm on your side. I will be your defense lawyer. I will fight for you. I will be on your, ha- on your behalf. And that leads me right into the third one. Who is my defender? You look at uh, the football team again as well. And uh, I wouldn't, if, if I was the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and uh, they were taking on Hamilton for the Grey Cup, I wouldn't necessarily want my coach to go to the kindergarten and the, uh, and the uh, preschool classes and hire a bunch of front line to be in front of me as a quarterback, right? I don't think any of us would want that. You look at those guys that are in the front line, and even on TV they look big, right? I can't imagine standing in front of some of those guys where they're arms are bigger than my leg, right? And they got a huge chest, right? And they got this stuff. And then the poor guys, they're like, couldn't you get a t-shirt one size bigger? I mean, those, some of those guys, those t-shirts are just like spandex on them, right? But when they get in there, that quarterback knows he's got a defense in front of him, right? But sometimes we decide that, well, my money, my job, my relationships, my church, my pastor, those will be my defense. Those will be the things that I will rely on. But when you look at them in the big scheme of things, how really reliable are they? And then we look at who God is, and we can make a choice this morning and say, God, I want you to be my defense. This is kind of the main verse for this morning, that if you forget everything, you remember this, or write this verse down and take it, and especially if you're here this morning, and this is kind of resonating with you, and God's using it to speak to your heart, then hang on to this verse. Psalm 62, verses 5 to 7, from the Good News Translation says this. David said, I depend on God alone. David had gone through a lot of stuff and he just finally gets to a point where he says, you know what? My underlying foundation of everything, no matter what it is, is that I depend on God alone. I put my hope in him. He alone protects and saves me. He is my defender and I shall never be defeated. My salvation and honor depend on God. He is my strong protector. He is my shelter. One of the names of God is God is my protector. And just use that, imagine, use your imagination this morning and just imagine that defensive line in a football and use the quarterback. And just imagine the God of all creation. The God who said, let there be light. The God who said, let there be this and that and vegetation and animals and everything. The God who commands the universe. The God who Psalms talks about even the mountains melt like wax. Imagine God being your defender. God being out in front of you. God going before you. God going behind you. God surrounding you with everything. Exodus 15 verse 2. The Israelites had just come through the Red Sea. And Moses and Miriam sang this song that starts out saying this. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. In every season of life, sometimes it's harder in the good season to stop and say, God, you are my strength. Because all of a sudden we are good at it, right? Everything's going well. The business is going well. The relationships are going well. You're like, man, I'm doing a good job. I deserve a promotion. It's kind of hard to stop at that point and say, God, you are my strength. 
God, you are my source. God, you are the one that underlies everything. And then the fourth one, where is my defender? You might be sitting there. You, are, you might be sitting there saying, yeah, no, no, that's, good. that's great. That's, mm, yeah. Hasn't been working for me. Where is my defender? Where are you? Where, where are you, God? And you can't open your Bible without finding those scenarios as well. You can't open your Bible without finding those situations as well. Those times when people were just at a loss. They were like, God, I trust you, but I don't see you. God, I need you, but I don't feel you. God, it's a place where I'm in and I just feel like I'm between a rock and a hard place and you're not there with me. There's a little story that kind of, there's no way I'm going to be able to scratch even this, barely the surface of this this morning. But uh, there's a little story that kind of jumped out at me of a little boy and a little girl that were climbing a mountain path. And the little boy was excited about it and he's like, yeah, come with me on this path. We're going to go up this, this big hill in this big mountainous area. And obviously not Mount Everest because no one would ever let a child go up Mount Everest. But a small hill and a path, right? And the boy's a little more enthusiastic than the girls. And there's lots of bumps and lots of rocks. And the little boy's climbing over it and going up this so-called path. And the little girl looks at him and says, this isn't a path. All this is is rocks and bumps. And the little boy pauses for a second and turns around and looks at his sister and says, come on, the rocks and bumps are what you climb on. And he's just excited about going up and climbing and all this kind of stuff. And it's very, if you're in this situation there's nothing you can really say, I don't think, other than the presence of God finally breaking through. Everything just sounds flippant. Everything sounds like a mystic way. Um, we could never understand what a beautiful sunny day was without a tornado or a night or, a, or a, the calm after the storm, right? We could never understand what relaxation was if we didn't go through a stressful time. Usually Sundays when I get home after I've had lunch, I feel very relaxed. <laughs> Sunday before church starts, especially when Pastor Mike isn't here, and uh, everything's kind of going good, and it's gone well. But still, it's a lot more that kind of thing, right? Stressful going on and moving ahead. And there's lots of things in life that come against us, that bring us to our knees, that bring us to a place where we're broken or we're hurting. Um, David even said to God in Psalms 13, he said, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? I've prayed that prayer, and God honors that prayer. If God is real, we need to be able to talk to him, right? Even Jesus on the cross said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That feeling is a real feeling, but God as our defender is also a very real reality. David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Job, I always, one of the, I read this once and it's always rang true to me. Um, that the story of Job partially is in the Bible to let us know that whatever suffering we go through, we can still walk in faith with God. Because Job lost his health. Job lost his, all his children. Job lost his possessions. Job lost almost everything. He was laying on the ground with bruises, with, with oozing wounds all over his body with a rock scraping at them. And his wife was telling him, even, even saying, you know, curse God and die. Why this hope? Why are you hanging on? And Job says, I trust in God. God will be my defender. I watched a show uh, just about a week and a half ago that was five survivors from the Holocaust. 
And stories like that, when I, when I, when I talk about my defender, God is my, makes you be challenged in your heart and not just to like, God is my defender. Right? God is on my side. Um, but the Bible talks about both sides of it. And these five Holocaust survivors um, went through the whole, whole thing in the camps. And the, and the one lady, her mother had sewn diamonds into her skirt as the uh, soldiers were coming and taking the children away. And she said, if you get someplace, because at that point they still thought they were going somewhere and they would get food and they didn't know they were going to this camp. Um, and they, she sewed diamonds into her skirt and said, you know, don't let anybody steal them. When you get there, you can take them out and you can use them to pay for things and that. And she got to the, uh, the camp and uh, her and her little sister and they, of course, stripped them naked when they came in. And she's like, what am I going to do? What am I doing? She swallowed these diamonds to keep them because they were the only precious things she had. And for whatever it was, she was in there for a year, year and a half, um, she recycled those diamonds. They came out one end, and before she went back to her barracks, she put them back in the other end. And you can imagine that's, that's one of the least of the horrors that went on if you ever look at some of that stuff. And we look at, um, like, the Rwanda, the genocide, right? And all those people saying, where is God? How do I relate? How do I put this together? How do I come to a solution? And I don't have all the answers, but people in the Bible did walk through situations like that and come out the other side. Isaiah 19, uh, 19 verse 19 and 20 says this, says, In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its borders. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and a defender, and he will rescue them. They were hanging on to something. And I don't know where you're at this morning. You might be hanging on to yourself. You might be hanging on to your relationships. You might be fade away. And there was a hope in them as they went through Egypt for 430 years that they were hanging on to. That one day there will be. One day there will be. One day this and that and the other thing. The people in Egypt were 430 years. If 40 years is a generation, that's 10 generations of people who passed away in Egypt in slavery. Under the bondage of, of Egypt. So that's my dad, my grandma, my grandpa, my great grandpa. My great-great-grandpa, my great-great-great, my great-great-great-great-great-great-great. Can you imagine? They might have lost hope. They might have come to the end. And it was amazing watching these five Holocaust survivors too. Some of them lost hope. Some of them gave up. They were Jews. They gave up on God. They said, after I saw this horrific atrocity, I, that was it. And others of them hung on to their faith and walked through and said, God, one day you will set it right. God, one day we will meet together in Jerusalem. God, one day we will worship together in a place that's greater than this. And God, I pray that you'll just bring me through. Daniel um, 3, 17, 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said as they were being thrown into the fiery furnace. They said, our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship your golden statue. Daniel hung on to this and said, God, you will be my defender. God, in life and in death, God, you will go before me. So the final one that I want to end with this morning is, is the final defense. And one day God will set it all straight. One day there will come a day where God will say, you know what? The books will be opened. 
the justices will be rewarded. The injustices will be penalized. And God is keeping order and keeping, keeping track. God is on our side. And sometimes we have a thing, well, we always have a thing called free will, where God has given us choices to make, and our lives go one direction or our lives go another direction, partially because of the choices we make, partially because of the choices others make, partially because of the hand of God leading us and directing us. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego walked through that in the miraculous, but they said, even if we die in this furnace, we want you to know that God is our king. God is our Lord. God is our defender. Before the flood, it came to the place where the Bible said that Genesis, um, um, Genesis 5, 6 says, the Lord said that around him was the great weaknesses, wickedness of the human race and become all over the earth. And even the, every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was only evil at all times. One day God will set it all straight. He's given us free will. Matthew 25, 37 says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And he'll say, when you clothed the naked. When you came to church on Sunday and you brought a few things for the YWCA and put them in the box at the back. When you came to church on Sunday and put some things, some mittens in, and you'll get there and Jesus will say, God will say, you know, thank you for the mittens. And you'll say, when did I ever give you mittens? Or the clerk at the store who's having a hard time and the person before them has just kind of ripped them up one side and down the other side and don't you know what you're doing, whatever. And, and you walk up and say, hey, you know what? Not everybody's like that. Thanks for doing what you're doing. And Jesus will say, you know what? When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And God has given people choices and sometimes they make the choices and it hurts. It's broken. It's, it's rough. But God says he's going to make it right. Justice will come. Other times it, it goes good. Anything that's good in this earth has been done because someone made that choice. When that day comes, we sang a song about two Sundays ago, I can only imagine. And can you only imagine? Just stop and imagine what it would be like when Jesus comes and sets this world aright. And there's no more poverty. Uh, we watched at uh, seniors, they showed the fire in the Philippines and the, the people that were already in poverty who now were pushed even further into poverty and yet in the pictures was all these people who had brought extra food that had and the pastor was delivering it out to them and giving it away. And so to be able to say, God, one day you will set it straight. God, one day you will set it right. In 1 Corinthians 3, as I kind of start wrapping up here, 1 Corinthians 3, 11, 13 says this. It says, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on a foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw, the work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. It's kind of sobering to stop and think, we're going to be tested, right? I was just talking to one of the people on the worship team this morning, he has exams this week. And I know a couple other people have told me for young adults this afternoon, they've got exams and they won't be able to make it because they're studying. There's something about an exam that makes you step it up just a little bit, right? Something about a test coming. If you know the job site's going to be ready on Monday morning, then Sunday night, you're kind of thinking a little bit more through, okay, what do I need for this job? If you've got a, a big ceremony, an anniversary, or a wedding, or whatever, church on Sunday morning, Saturday night, you're kind of thinking, or Friday night, the day before, you're kind of thinking, okay, we need this. Have I checked with the caterer? Have I done all this? And this morning, a bit of this challenge to each and every one of you is, is who is your defender? 
what will that day hold when you stand before God? Will he stand on your corner and say, this person has chosen that I'd represent them? Or will he stand on the other side and say, I never knew them? I don't know who they are. They can, they can stand on their own two feet as best as they can. And to this morning say, God, I choose you to be my defender. Christmas is just around the corner. God sent his son into the world, born of a virgin, sacrificed once and for all. The Bible said that he is now our defender if we choose. Hebrews 7, 25, because he always lives to intercede for them. 1 John 2, 1 and 2, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Romans 8, 34, Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us on our behalf. That's the choice I want to make this morning. I want to say, God, I choose you to be my defender. God, I choose you to be my defense lawyer. God, I choose you to be my goalkeeper. God, I choose you to go in front of me as that defensive line as I try to quarterback my way through life, as I try to get to where, God, you've called me to go. God, I want you going before me. And God, sometimes I might not see you, God, sometimes I might get hit and rocked by that person who's coming from the other team and just sometimes you watch those quarterbacks get taken out and you wonder if they're ever going to get up off the field, right? Sometimes you might get hit pretty hard, but God is still your defender. God is still on your side. And one day we will see face to face. We will see who he is. And I'm going to end with this last kind of illustration or story that um, C.S. Lewis, a lot of you will know his name, uh, wrote a book uh, a series of books, the Chronicles of the Narnia, that weren't necessarily Christian books, but he was concerned about, he became a Christian at some point along his life. I'm not exactly sure. I didn't look it up when he did or whatever, but um, he was concerned about the morality of children in Europe at the time when he was writing these Chronicles of Narnia. And he took a lot of spiritual images and things and from uh, different kind of, yeah, whatever, I won't go there. Uh, but one of the characters in, in the books is Aslan, who is a lion. i got a picture of him up there. And he kind of very loosely represents Christ. Or at least as Christians, when we watch it, we can see Christ in him. And then he's got the four uh, children that come to this world called Narnia. And there's Peter and Edmund and Lucy and Susan. And these four children come in kind of as the sons of Eve or kind of representing humanity. And they're, they're there to sort of save the world and set it back right uh, because everything has gone array and everything is messed up. And, and kind of like God has placed us in this world to create goodness. I mean, you've heard the stories where a lot of the first hospitals, a lot of the first universities, a lot of the children in Europe that were being left during the plague on the side of the street, it was the Christians that went out and picked them up and started orphanages. Um, and kind of representing that whole thing. And Edmund, the one boy, uh, betrays his other um, siblings. And he to get the other four because she knows if she can get rid of these four children that she will be the ruler of Narnia forever. She's kind of, they use snow and cold and the movie kind of sets it up where everything is getting cold and everything getting snowy and, you know, there's no green grass left. The water's not running anymore. It's all frozen and solid. And that kind of world that they're living in and uh, so Edmund is a traitor, and eventually he comes back, and the White Witch brings Edmund to Aslan and says, or, sorry, Edmund gets back to Aslan, and the White Witch comes back and demands him back. She says, you know the traitor is mine, right? You know the one who has broken the law is mine. You know the one who's done the evil belongs to me. And Aslan, as kind of a representative of Christ, says, take me instead. 
And for her, it's like, this is a win, right? I get to take out the mightiest person on the other side that I possibly could. So she says, she agrees, and she takes Aslan. And they take, her, take him to what's called the stone table, lay him on him, on, and, and sacrifice him, just like Christ was sacrificed on the cross. And as they kind of, but Aslan, Aslan dies, but then Aslan comes back to life. And he says this, which I'm, when I watched the movie, it really stuck out to me. It was a long time ago I watched it, but I've thought of this many times. And he kind of describes Christianity here. This is what Aslan says. When, when Lucy and, uh, um, no, Lucy and the other girl, Susan, are there, and all of a sudden Aslan's back, and they're like, how, how, why are you back? Why are you here? And Aslan says this. He says, if the witch knew the true meaning of sacrifice, she might have interpreted the deep magic differently. That when a willing victim who has committed no treachery is killed in the traitor's stead, the stone table will crack, and even death itself would turn backwards. And that so much represents Christ, who died on a cross, that even when the traitors come to him, when the broken, when the hurting, he says, you know what? I'll stand up for them. I'll represent them. No matter what it is we've been through or done, if we honestly come in sincerity and humility to him, and we see that, just one illustration, I could pull a whole bunch up, but we see that in Paul in the New Testament, right? I've often thought of him, because for me, I grew up in a Christian family and that kind of thing, and, and wouldn't, not perfect, that's for sure, but you hear some other people's stories, but Paul in the New Testament, he rounded up Christians and he killed Christians, right? I can't imagine being that person who had come to church and arrested you and killed some of you and then becoming a Christian. The guilt and the shame and the hurt that I'd have to get over and say, God, I place it in your hands. In that story of the five survivors of the Holocaust, uh, they also interviewed one doctor who was on the German side in the camps. And he actually did some to try to keep some of the Jews alive. And he actually was acquitted of war crimes because of his attempts, as little as they might have been in the massive destruction there was, but it was proven that he did have some attempt to make the life better for them, to somehow bring them through. And to be acquitted, to be forgiven, to be set free, to say, God, you are my defender. And I'm going to End with these two verses. Psalms, and then we're going to play that song in a few seconds here, David. Uh, Psalms 18, verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, and my stronghold. And the verse I really want you to remember in Psalm 62, verses 5 to 7 says this. says, I depend on God alone. I put my hope in him. He alone protects and saves me. He is my defender, and I shall never be defeated. My salvation and honor depend on God. He is my stronghold. He is my shelter. And even in the situation that we're in right now, going through this, whatever you can be on either sides, pandemic, not pandemic, fake, not fake, whatever, right? Uh, I remember at the very beginning of it, I heard one pastor, and I've always hung on to this ever since the beginning, and I think I might have mentioned it once before. He said, you know what? I will wear a mask. I will wash my hands. But I will not trust in that mask I will not trust that my hands have been washed thoroughly. They will fail. My only faith, my only hope, my only foundation, what come, come what may, 
is Jesus Christ, the foundation of my life, of my soul. He is my defender. He is the one I stand on. Whatever comes, good or bad, if we have that foundation and the fire comes and it burns away everything else, I'd rather have gold, silver, and precious stones. But it says in that scripture, if everything else was burned away, they still at least had the foundation of Jesus Christ. And just last Sunday, they, they sang a song at Fusion, which I had heard two or three weeks ago. It was just called Defender. Sometimes you think of different situations as you're speaking. And they need God to be their defender. Uh, and I heard it two or three weeks, and I actually had something else that I was going to speak on, and because uh, it's been quite busy the last few weeks, so I had something that I'd already started working on. And this thing just jumped out at me so much that I had to kind of start anew last week and put something together. And, so, and rather than sing a song at the end, in a few seconds, I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to dismiss you. And if you're, if you're done and you're ready to go and pick up your kids, you're welcome to go. Usually we sing a song all together and then I dismiss you and then I play a little bit for those that want to stay. But especially if you're here this morning and you're making a choice for God to be your defender in two scenarios, in two worlds. One, you've never placed your full hope and trust in Christ. You're here this morning and you're still like, yeah, I go to church. But if truth be told, your foundation isn't Christ foundation is your reputation. The foundation is your church. The foundation is your relationship. foundation is that you live in Canada and not in a different country in the world. And secondly, you're saying, God, I need a defender. God, I can't see my way through. God, the middle point made the most sense to me out of everything Pastor Glenn has said this morning. God, why have you forsaken me? Then as the song plays, if you want to stay for a little longer and just say, God, I ask you to take it. I'm broken. I'm hurting. I don't see you in this situation, but God, I pray that you'll give me the faith. The Bible says that he's given to all of us a measure of faith. Just say, God, just like Daniel, even if he doesn't deliver me, God is still God. Even if I never get out of this situation, God is still God. And there is a day that's coming. So God, I just thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for each and every person who's here. God, I thank you for each and every person who's watching online. God, I thank you for the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the power of grace. God, I thank you that um, David penned these words, um, God alone I will put my trust. And God, I thank you that it says that you are on our side. God, when we choose you to be our defense, God, we are putting our faith in something that is very real, that is very strong, that lasts not for this, just this lifetime, but lasts for a lifetime to come. And God, we want to put our faith and our hope in you and trust you with all of our situations, with all of our family, with all of our lives. God, with our brokenness, with our successes, with our failures, with our um, amazing days as well. And God, as people are going to be leaving now, I just pray that you bless them in this Christmas season. God, there can be so much... Uh, busyness and running around. God, that you'd give them time to find time to spend with you and to spend with family. And God, to also pray for those that are just going to stay this morning for a little bit. And maybe, maybe this morning's the morning where they put their foundation entirely in Jesus Christ. God, maybe this morning is the morning where they just sit and say, God, where are you? And God, you are here. We might not see you, but God, I pray that you'll help us to walk through it and get to the other side. And we can't even scratch the surface of it this morning. But God, we give you the honor, we give you the glory, and we just thank you for all that you are and all that you will be. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to thank you for joining online. Um, and in a few seconds, I'm just going to...
anybody wants someone to pray with them too, you're more than welcome to come up to the, I'll get this stuff off you and get my mask on. before I know that you've even gone to win my war. You come back with the head of my enemy. You come back and you call it my victory. Oh, you go before I know that you've even gone to win my war. Your love becomes my greatest defense. It leads me from the Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.